0: Welcome to the Sci-Fi Reading Series Podcast. I'm science fiction author Kate sheeran Sweat, and every week I read a selection from one of my books. Today I'm reading Highly Irregular, a Parse Galaxy short story. The episode stands entirely on its own, so if you're new, there's no need to catch up. Stick around after the reading for exclusive behind-the-scenes commentary. Let's get on with this week's episode. Highly Irregular A Parse Galaxy short story. In Sloane's opinion, there was nothing more annoying than a space battle. She had no business sitting here in the co-pilot seat during one, even though Moneymaker technically belonged to her. But that was where she'd landed when the shooting had started, so that was where she was currently gripping the arms and trying, admirably in her opinion, not to throw up. Throwing up would probably distract Hilda. The pilot might be an ace, but some things were unignorable. That apparently didn't include her green parakeet, which was fluttering back and forth on the dashboard, but it would definitely include vomit. The ship banked sharply, making Sloane deeply regret the extra mayo she dolloped onto her veggie burger at lunch. Angry red slashes of plasma danced by the window, ricocheting off the moneymaker's shield, and she couldn't help but notice the movement of the dial at Hilda's elbow. Helpfully labeled shield integrity, it dropped its arrow out of the green zone, a universal indication of safety, as far as Sloane knew, and into a suspiciously orange-colored one. What was the point in whipping the ship around like this if they were going to get hit anyway? This is getting old, Sloane said. Hilda hit a button, and the ship plummeted. Space was sadly lacking in up and down, but it felt like plummeting, which was all that mattered. Sloane had no way to tell if the plummeting actually accomplished anything. The shield arrow quivered, but it didn't drop any further. Oh, I'm sorry, Hilda said. Am I messing up your hair as I try to save our lives? Yeah, actually, but that's not really my priority right now. Glad to hear it. The ship shuddered, and the shield-integrity arrow swooped toward the always-dangerous red zone. I hope Alex strapped in, Sloane said. Their third crew member, a scientist, had a tendency to forget her surroundings when she got lost in her work. Not going to matter in another second. The good news. Most of the ships that had been following them for the last week, taking occasional pot shots without actually trying to kill them, had peeled off a few hours ago. The bad news? There was one ship left, and it seemed to be holding a grudge. The worse news? It also seemed to know the truth, that Sloane and her crew had instigated a wild goose chase, and that the treasure their attackers dearly wanted was not technically in residence. And if the straggler knew that, then they were definitely trying to blow up the ship in earnest. "'You pretend to steal one little artifact and everyone goes nuts,' Sloane said." "'No good deed goes unpunished,' Hilda said. "'Since it had been Sloane's good deed to divert attention by pretending to steal the artifact, one she'd taken without consulting her crew, the words felt a bit like an accusation. "'Not that now was the time to dwell on other people's hang-ups. "'Sloane made herself lean forward so she could look out and catch a glimpse of their attacker. "'The mean little ship was circling them like a shark. "'Its next bite would take a chunk out of Moneymaker for sure.' "'Remind me while we're not shooting back,' Sloane said, "'allowing the barest thread of accusation to leak into her tone. "'Hilda rolled her eyes, along with the ship. "'Sloane's stomach did a somersault, and she swallowed hard, "'and pointed to a bar that displayed one cheerful green square. "'See how only one square is lit up there? "'We've got one plasma round left, and their shields are about 100 percent. "'So basically we dance until we die? "'Basically.' Ignoring her stomach's pleas, Sloane forced herself to take a look out the strip of window she'd been ignoring up until now. She watched as their pursuer launched another angry red wad of laser fire at the ship. She didn't understand much about space battles and shooting things, but it seemed to her that there was one very obvious question that no one ever mentioned. "'How did their plasma shots get past their shield?' Sloane asked. "'What?' Sloane pointed, though it was hardly necessary. Or helpful. Why can a ship's guns blast past the shield? Shouldn't the shot rebound back onto their ship? Sloane wasn't sure how to read Hilda's silence. She might have been stunned at Sloane's ignorance or praying for a competent co-pilot to pop up in her place. It was hard to tell. "'I don't actually know,' the pilot said finally." Had Sloane not been strapped into her chair, she'd have fallen out of it. "'So,' she said, "'couldn't we shoot at the guns, like down the barrel of one of those cannons?' Hilda's jaw twitched just enough for Sloane to suspect she was grinding her teeth. "'We have one full plasma chamber. That's it. So let's use it.' "'We'd have to position the ship directly at the end of their cannon, the one that's currently trying to blow us into dust.' But you know how long it takes them to switch plasma chambers when they drain their ammo, don't you? Hilda shot her a look of disdain. I'm a trained fighter pilot girl, of course I know. Well, six seconds. Not as long as she'd have hoped, but Sloane figured they could work with that, more or less. When in doubt, it was better not to do the math in situations like this. Then we get them to shoot at us until they spend their round, then we line up and shoot them in the guns. Sloane had said her fair share of strange sentences, but that one ranked pretty high. Hilda cursed under her breath. This is a terrible idea. I'm good for those. The parakeet hopped onto Hilda's shoulder, as if for moral support, and then they were off. It was a good thing Sloane thought that Hilda was an excellent pilot. No, she was an ace pilot. A champion racer, an ex-fighter, a woman who'd been zipping around the Parse Galaxy since well before Sloane's birth. Gravity fritzed as Hilda spun the moneymaker in a zigzagging spiral, flying it like an extension of her own skin. Even when death was imminent, the pilot flew with a little smile on her lips. If this scheme failed, Sloane suspected Hilda might just die happy. Sloane, on the other hand, would die pissed off. The ship they faced was just like any other random, non-luxury ship in the galaxy. Slate-gray siding, big ugly bolts everywhere, and a mean-looking cannon jutting out of the side. The gun was so big, it almost looked like Moneymaker could fly right down the barrel. Not that Sloane would have suggested that. When Hilda reeled around, Sloane's stomach slingshotted into her throat. And then, eerily, everything paused. The moment shouldn't have been any different from the rest of the cat-and-mouse battle they'd been engaged in. It wasn't like space was more silent when a ship stopped shooting beyond the fact that it stopped the moneymaker from shuddering and knocking pictures off the walls or whatever. This moment felt different, though. Maybe it was because they'd pulsed to a stop directly in front of the cannon, and it felt like looking into the mouth of a toothless shark. Moneymaker's shot hit its target dead center, and Sloan just had time to see a flash of blue from inside as the other ship lobbed off a desperate last round, but it was too late. The shots collided and Hilda was already speeding away to avoid the debris as their attacker exploded. That is a major loophole, Sloane said, breathing hard. They really should fix it. I'm probably the only pilot in the Parse Galaxy who had a chance of pulling that off, Hilda said. The ship shuddered and the helpful shield arrow dropped into the angry red zone. A dozen alarms startled into screams as debris slammed into the moneymaker, peppering its sides with the remains of its enemies. What a way to go. Almost, Hilda said. I almost pulled it off. Sloane didn't know how to feel about the fact that the closest station was a friendly, law-abiding kind of place. On one hand, the Indley Station crew welcomed the hobbling moneymaker with sympathetic tisks and mugs of tea, which was a nice change for most of the places Sloane had frequented lately. On the other hand, though, law-abiding places were not the best option for finding jobs that could fund expensive repairs. Needless to say, she didn't sleep well, and since the shower cyclers were among the damaged systems, she couldn't even wash away the battle with a hot scrub. Sloan found Alex and Hilda in the former security officer's cabin, huddled over his tablet. Hilda's parakeet flew lazy circles above their heads as they scrolled. Nothing they found here would do them any good, Sloan hadn't entered Oliver's room since the crew had returned to the moneymaker without their former security officer. She hadn't thought much about him in general. They'd been, whatever they'd been, colleagues with benefits at the least, falling in love at the most, maybe. Or so she'd thought until he'd betrayed their trust. Talk about a fraud. She hesitated in the doorway, watching her crewmates, Hilda looked rested enough, but Alex hadn't been the same since their last adventure had destroyed her life's work. The scientist wore the same graying sweatshirt she'd had on for the last week, and her red hair was a tangle that hadn't seen a brush in at least as long. Sloane thought there might be gum stuck in the back. Even her bunny slippers were gray with dirt and food stains. Sloane didn't understand it, really, so wormholes were too dangerous and unstable to pursue so they could rip apart the fabric of reality in the universe as they knew it. So achieving one had been the work of Alex's last decade or so. Alex was a scientist. Surely she could find something else to work on. Sloane cleared her throat. Do I need to remind you two what happened to the last guy on this ship who took on the kinds of jobs you're looking at right now? Hilda glanced over her shoulder at Sloane. We're only looking at legitimate Cosmic Trade Federation-approved listings, she said. I doubt Oliver's job was stamped. No, it definitely hadn't been. Bounties? Sloan asked. Hilda's nod was a business-like twitch of her chin. She tapped a finger on the screen. This one pays well. Then we probably can't handle it. It's the only job available out there, Alex said. Sloane sighed. A bounty hunt was probably the best way to secure a wad of cash quickly, and she didn't really want to spend months of slinging drinks or shining shoes out here just to slap a few cheap band-aids on the hulls. They needed actual repairs, and they needed them now. She couldn't keep shuffling her own missions off to the side. It was just too obvious that she didn't belong here. The sooner they repaired the moneymaker, the sooner she could find her uncle and return his ship to him, along with its crew. He was the leader they needed, not Sloane. She had to get back to her own life, to her studies, if the medical school would even readmit her after she disappeared without a trace. Right, Sloane said. I guess we'll handle it. Tucked safely within one of the smaller middle systems in the parse galaxy, Endley Station must have had a dearth of bounty-oriented individuals because the Lister contacted them immediately by showing up at the moneymaker's dock. You didn't say he was at the station, Sloane said. She was having to rearrange her whole idea of how a bounty hunter actually discovered and set out on a bounty. She'd thought the details might be listed in full in the database, and that multiple hunters might compete to find the prize. Or, failing that, that they'd receive a clandestine message through the boards, possibly one they, or specifically Alex, would need to decrypt. When she shared that guess, however, Alex just said, I'm an astrophysicist, not a computer scientist. In any case, the person tottering around the dock was an elderly man, his back just a little bent, the skin on his neck just a little droopy. He had tufts of gray hair patched onto his skull at seemingly random intervals, giving the impression of a kid's craft project. Sloane's little sister would have placed the hair more regularly, and a cane with a silver goose on the top which he was currently using to tap at the moneymaker's sides, punctuating each blow with a dissatisfied grunt, as if banging metal could really tell him whether the ship was about to fall apart. At least she didn't think it could. I don't think we're going to get this job, Sloane said. Not unless you go out and talk to him or not, Hilda replied. Sloane glanced at her. I thought you were going to talk to him. You're the captain. You found the job. Sloan had yet to win a staring match with Hilda, but that fact hadn't stopped her from trying. The old man tapped at the hull again, and she heard a part dislodge and crash to the ground. Whatever it was, it sounded expensive. "'I'm the pilot,' Hilda said. "'I already have a job.' Point taken. Sloan left the pilot's deck and descended to the cargo area, where she had to wriggle the code box violently to get the gangplank to fall open." This ship couldn't make it to the pee room, let alone another system. The man's dry rasp of a voice floated up from underneath the moneymaker's belly, where she could hear his cane tapping at the hull. Sloan hated him already. She bent over, trying to find where her potential customer, client, was hiding. You might be surprised. The man hobbled out from under the ship. I'm never surprised, but you're the only one who answered the ad, so we'd best get talking— he started up the gangplank without an invitation. I'm assuming you've got some boar-high tea in there somewhere? After settling for lavender mint tea, and settling himself at the head of the banged-up table in the galley, the man introduced himself as Curtis Corbin. The name fit him in a way names rarely fit people. It was a crushed accordion of a name, the hard consonants overtaking the vowels like they might collapse in on themselves the next time someone dared utter them. "'What's the job?' Sloan asked him as he slurped his tea. He squinted at her. "'Didn't you read the listing?' "'Nope. Picked it up by location.' Curtis Corbin grated out a laugh. "'And the money, no doubt. Didn't hurt. What's the job?' He stirred his tea, coy like he might not explain, except that he'd already told her no one else had responded, so Sloan just waited until he said, "'It's a rescue operation orbiting prison.' Who's the prisoner? A friend. I love it when people give the full details. Curtis looked at Hilda. She always this charming? Hilda leaned her elbows on the table. You caught her on a good day. Alex, who was leaning in the doorframe, bunny slippers and all, just snorted. Sloan ignored the comment, and the snort. Why can't the fleet help? Because if he's in a fleet prison, you can forget it. Those guys will never forget. Curtis grunted. "'Savvier than you look, girl. It's not a fleet prison, and they've been informed, but they've got a lot on their plate now, not so much interest in rescuing a single unfortunate.' "'Not a fleet prison? Okay, so far so good. The fleet supposedly linked the Parse Galaxy systems. They kept the peace, or so they liked to think. They'd gotten in her way before. She was pretty sure they were destined to do it again.' "'If it's not a fleet prison,' Sloane said, "'then where is it?' Aju system. Been orbiting ISO's small moon for a decade now. Sloan was on her feet before she'd entirely realized she was moving. The bone system? No. No way. Forget it. She'd sling drinks for a year to avoid that place. Not a chance. Curtis raised his hands. They had a small tremor to them. Calm, girl. It's not common knowledge, but he's not been seen in weeks. He's abandoned the system. "'Didn't Sloane know it? "'She'd just escaped the last of his ships "'after guiding them on a wild goose chase, "'and after leading him to wreak havoc on a planet "'in an entirely different galaxy. "'Accidentally, sure, but still. "'Call me girl again, "'and I'll rip out the rest of your hair,' Sloane said. "'Curtis Corbin leaned forward. "'Think about it. "'Trade's been been diverted around Aju system "'for over a century. "'Now that Sever's gone,' Well, it's about to be the Wild West again, I need to get my friend out of there." No wonder he couldn't find anyone else to take this job. Sever fancied himself a demigod, a reclusive one that resurfaced every now and then to respond to a perceived insult by annihilating entire planets. He was a genocidal horror show. But Sloane knew what no one else did, that Sever really had left the galaxy, at least for a brief time. And if her friends in the Milky Way handled things, she wasn't much of an optimist, but she was rooting for them anyway. Maybe he'd stay gone. In any case, they had some time. This was a Federation-stamped job, and if Sever was the one who'd incarcerated Kirby Corbin's friend, then he was very likely a good guy, or at least not a bad one. It was a wonder that he was alive at all. I need 75% up front, Sloan said. Curtis puffed out of breath. Not happening. Fifty. You new to this, you get paid when we win. Sloane crossed her arms. I can't fly my ship to your friend unless it's repaired. The old man squinted at the ceiling as if he could read a full report of the necessary repairs there. I'll get your ship moving, he said. I'll pay the rest when my friend's free. And if we fail? Well, I've never wanted a rust bucket of a ship, but it'll do for Collateral. Rescue the friend, repair the ship, then fuel it so she could get back to her original miss- mission of finding Uncle Vin. Fail? Well, he she could try to turn the ship over, but Uncle Vin had coded it to answer to Sloane alone. Alex, Hilda, and Oliver had all tried to work around it. Sloane had tried too, to no avail. The ship would only fly for Sloane, but Curtis Corbin didn't need to know that. Okay, Sloane said, what are we looking at? Picture a walnut, Curtis Corbin said with a trio of shells protecting the meat. More like a torque fruit then, Alex said. Sloane shot the scientist a look, but Curtis nodded. Just so, picture a torque fruit. You need to crack through the outer shell and into the airlocks, through the shell, the airlock shell and into the main floor, then into the cell itself. Back out's a piece of cake. Alex spun on her bunny-tailed heel and walked out of the kitchen. Sloan glanced at Hilda. She was facing away from them, elbows on the counter, swiping through a holographic card game. Sloan was clearly expected to be the mastermind here. Guards, she asked? off sight. Since Sever disappeared, we don't even know who's watching. No shields? He drew an imaginary whirlpool on the tabletop with his finger. Shields activate if a ship comes within a certain range. We float in on our own with rocket boosters. And carry extras for your friend." Curtis rubbed his chin, precisely. If Sloan planned to make a real go at this bounty hunter thing, she'd need to get better at reading people. Pull out her psychology class notes at the very least. She couldn't decide if the prisoner was a lover of Curtis's, an associate, or someone who owed him money. She wasn't sure she needed to know. Still, she couldn't help wishing she'd paid more attention to the way people interacted, instead of honing now-useless skills like the ability to spot a designer handbag from ten feet away. You don't have the airlock codes, she asked? Correct. Too much to hope for. And we can't drill through without damaging the airlock and decompressing the rest of the station. Now you're getting it. Sloane shook her head. Not possible. You need armored guards or fleet troops or or someone who is competent at anything. Curtis didn't argue. He just sat back in his chair, the corners of his mouth drooping. She felt bad, about his friend, sure, and also about the money. But there wasn't anything she could do. Cracking through three levels of a station without hacking it, killing them all? It wasn't possible. She supposed one of the nice people at Indley Station would agree to hire her as a bartender. Ironically, she made an excellent torque fruit cocktail. Alex ambled back into the room, slippers shuffling on the floor, and dropped a silver tube on the table. It was covered in multicolored buttons, some large, some small. Knowing Alex's inventions as she did, Sloane had to fight the urge to scoot away from it. What is this? She asked. Matter phaser, Alex said, as if it should have been obvious. When Sloane just blinked, she picked it up, aimed it at the table, and pressed the biggest button at the end. The tube started to click quickly at first, then winding down rapidly. And then Alex stuck her fingers through the table. Sloane blinked, her mind struggling to understand how Alex's fingers could be taking up the same space as the table. There wasn't a hole or a gap. This was a table, and this was Alex's fingers. They couldn't be occupying the same space, she knew that, but they looked like they were occupying the same space. Matter phaser, Alex said. She withdrew her fingers. Just get your hand out before it stops clicking or you'll lose it. It being the hand, Sloan assumed, rather than the phaser. Sloan hadn't thought Curtis Corbin was capable of being impressed. At this demonstration, Sloan actually thought his beady little eyes might pop out and roll across the floor. How many times will it work, he asked. Three, Alex said. Maybe four. ''I thought you were—you said you were an astrophysicist, not an engineer,'' Sloane said. Alex shrugged. ''A person needs a hobby.'' From a distance, the prison almost looked invisible. Even as Sloane got close, her boosters spitting sparks as they propelled her toward the station, she had to squint to make it out. The station was a smudge against the dark side of Izo's moon, a shadow tucked into the shadows. To her right, the rainbow glimmer of a current path promised a quick getaway. The currents kept traffic flowing around the galaxy at near light speed, and it was hard to believe any of them might cut this close to Sever's territory. She might have passed within a few meters of the prison without realizing it was there had she not been looking for it. Sloan didn't like the fact that the moneymaker was so far away and Hilda with it. Out of reach and unable to help if this went wrong— They were only infiltrating a prison designed by a tyrant who considered himself a demigod, or designed by his minions at any rate. What could possibly go wrong? Alex bobbed along to Sloane's right, still scowling at having been roosted from her room to help. If something went sideways with the matter phaser, Sloane would be no good to anyone. She wasn't the kind of person to follow feverish instructions given through an earpiece while running from hypothetical enemies like hidden fleet soldiers who turned out to be running the prison after all, or Sever back from the Milky Way to wreak vengeance on her. Not that Sloane was imagining the various disasters they could be walking into. Besides, Alex needed to leave that room. She was turning into a hermit. Sloane was new to bounty hunting, but she didn't think it was typical for the client to come along on the job. Still, Curtis Corbin rocketed along to her left, Sloan didn't know if it was pain, age, or something else that curved his body into a C-shape as he moved through the vacuum, but she couldn't help wondering how the guy would get along on the station without his cane. Maybe there wasn't any gravity. She could see Sever storing his hostages in a place like that. Finally, they floated close enough to reach out and grab the airlock. Sloan glanced over her shoulder, but Moneymaker was far enough away that it was only a suggestion of a shape against the stars. Curtis tapped the code box, and Alex dislodged the matter phaser from her back. She aimed it at the door and nodded. Sloan didn't like the feeling of being matter phased, even with the protection of the Atmo gear. What would happen if the matter phaser phased her suit apart? But she didn't have a choice. She reached in, her hand too bulky, and fumbled for the wires that powered the code box. Because it didn't matter if they tried to open the door from the inside if they still needed a code. But the matter phaser could phase them into the middle of the airlock wall, just as well as it could phase them all the way through. "'Just pull,' Alex said, her voice tickling Sloane's ear as the bud vibrated. "'I need to cut them. How? I have a retractable knife.' You're wearing Atmo gear. One puncture and you're done. As if Sloan didn't know that. What do you suggest? I suggest you put your back into it and pull. Did you argue with my uncle like this? Vincent didn't make dumb plans that would risk his life, so no. Given that Uncle Vin had disappeared entirely, Sloan wasn't sure that was accurate, and would have said so had Curtis not banged impatiently on the outside of the airlock. Sloane gripped the bundle of wires as tightly as she could while wearing Atmo gloves, and she pulled. The wires snapped. The light on the code box blinked out. Sloane withdrew her hand from the wall, and when Alex lifted the latch, the door popped open. Alex lifted an I-told-you-so eyebrow before slipping into the airlock with Curtis right behind her. The air cycled through, a second zap of the matter phaser opened the next door, and artificial gravity pulled their boots to the floor. As soon as her signals blinked green, Sloane lifted the visor on her helmet. Alex, meanwhile, left her visor firmly in place. Beyond the airlock, the prison looked like a prison. Sloane supposed she shouldn't have been surprised at that, She just sort of figured that it was bad enough to be stranded alone and orbiting a moon in the most feared section of the galaxy, with triple layers of security and no vessel to escape on. She'd figured even Sever would have given this guy the run of the place. Clearly, though, the station had originally been intended for more occupants. The corridor looked too long for a station this size. Rust decorated the metal plates along the floor, and a series of iron doors made her wonder if Curtis's friend really was the only person trapped here. Curtis Corbin limped out of the airlock and pushed past her. Stop gawking and get a move on. He'll be in the center. Sloan followed him down the hall. If there were other prisoners here, they stayed silent. The door at the end of the hall was locked by yet another code box. Alex aimed the matter phaser at the wall, and Sloan prepared to slip her fingers into the wall. Nothing happened. You said it would work three times, Sloan said. Alex put the phaser away. What can I say? It's a prototype. Curtis's eyebrows sank so low they had to have been obscuring his vision. You promised me. Hold on, Sloan said. She ran her finger along the edge of the box until she found a sticker, then bent over and noted the module's serial number. She slid a fingernail around the side of the box and noted the SEC code, and right before that, the speckled logo of the manufacturer. "'What are you trying to do, kiss the thing?' Curtis asked. "'I worked for a high-end boutique as a teenager,' she said. "'And that helps us how?' Sloan ignored the question and slipped her tab out of one of the interior pockets of the Atmos suit to run a quick search. Alec, what's the name of Sever's right hand guy? It started with an M like Mordred or Molotov. Morik. Right. Sloan located the company, tapped the endlessly long call number system, area, planet, no moon, extension, then local number, and waited. What are you doing? Alex hissed. But the other line went live and Sloan held up a hand to silence her. Property Protect Limited, Mechanism Department, how can I help you? The representative's voice was high-pitched and syrupy-sweet, no doubt trained to be. "'Oh, thank goodness,' Sloan said. "'I'm at Box 87882, lock 778, and my code isn't working.' "'I'm sorry to hear that, ma'am,' the voice said, "'but this is the Mechanism Department, not the Security Service Line. Let me transfer you to—' "'No, you can't,' Sloan interrupted. "'They transferred me to you. "'They said the code was right and it's not working, so it must be a box malfunction.' A beat of silence. They didn't offer you a reset? They didn't. Sloan injected all the high-pitched panic she could muster into her voice. And she could muster a good deal of it. If I don't get in here, my Uncle Morick is going to kill me. Literally. He said so. He said, niece or not, if you screw up one more job, you're out. Except he said it all snotty and serious, like he meant it. The representative didn't say anything. Sloan wondered if she died from shock. I'm sure he's a priority customer, Sloan added. I'm just sure of it. Please. Another beat of silence. Morick, the woman said, only the slightest tremble of her tone, betraying her recognition of the name. Admirable, honestly. Yes, Sloan confirmed. That Morick. He said if I don't do this for him, he'll attach tubes to my toes and suck all my blood out through my feet. You know who he is, who he works for. The woman cleared her throat. Yes, well, let me see what I can do. Please hold. Sloan looked up to give Alex and Curtis a thumbs up, but they were just staring at her. Alex's lips start- slightly parted. What, Sloan said, you never called customer service? You're not returning panties, Alex said. You're in the middle of a heist. I wouldn't return panties, Sloan said. The line went live again. "'Okay, ma'am,' the woman said. "'I've performed a reset on the hardware. "'Enter your new code when the light turns orange.' "'The light turned orange.' "'Sloan entered one-one-one, one-one. "'The light turned green. "'Oh, you saved my life,' Sloan said, literally. Uh, "'My pleasure,' the woman said. "'Tell your uncle we helped you, please. "'And if you'd be willing to stay on the line "'to complete a brief survey about your experience today, "'Oh, of course, definitely. "'Thank you so much.' The survey started and Sloan ended the call. She entered the new passcode and the door clicked open. Huh, Alex said. Sloan had a microsecond to enjoy her triumph. And then a man barreled out of the open door, slamming it back against the wall as he made his escape. The door swung back toward his face, but he was already out running straight into Curtis. With a roar, he knocked the old man to the floor. Watch it, Sloan said, he needs to pay me. The prisoner, unfortunately, didn't seem overly concerned about her money. He hulked over Curtis for a brief second, then reeled back and punched the old man in the face. Even after the prison time, muscles ballooned from his upper arms, and his bulk was unmistakable. He had a patch of ink-black hair, and that was about all Sloan had time to take in before he started screaming. "'You lying cheat!' the prisoner said. "'You left me to rot in here!' Easy, Brighton, Curtis said, his voice muffled by what had, had to be a rapidly swelling lip. I'm here, ain't I? Brought help, didn't I? The cadence of his speech had changed, devolved. Sloane narrowed her eyes. Brighton, she thought, looked to be on the edge of tears. Sixteen months, Corbin! Sixteen! Couldn't be helped, Curtis said. Brighton reared back like he was planning to hit Curtis again, but Sloan grabbed his fist. We need to get out of here, she said. Brighton dropped his hand, looking at her like he hadn't realized she was there. Her, he said? Sloan blinked, confused. Do I know you? Curtis staggered to his feet, using the door for support. Only choice. No other takers. Brighton frowned, but Curtis reached into the interior pocket of his Atmos suit. When he withdrew his hand, he was holding a plasma gun, which he pointed at Sloan and Alex. See, if she'd reviewed her psychology notes, she might have seen this coming. Though, come to think of it, she was pretty sure she'd skipped that class more often than not. Sorry about this, Curtis said, but it had to be this way. Sloan shook her head. What way? You're going to shoot us? Curtis backed toward the airlock, Brighton at his side. Someone always has to be on the station or it'll explode. He made the sound, spit-flying. Phew (laughs) Discourages escape, yeah? In a really stupid way, Sloane said. Take that up with Sever when you see him, Curtis said. Brighton looked apologetic, but he just shrugged, not apologetic enough to stop his friend from rescuing at her expense, apparently. The two men backed into the airlock where Brighton donned an emergency Atmos suit, and Curtis kept the gun aimed at Sloane and Alex. They cycled the air through, and then they were gone. Alex lifted her visor. A few rogue strands of red hair sprang loose from her bun to lick at the sides of her helmet, as if they wanted to taste the air. "'I should have taken that job in the torrent system.' "'Someone offered you a job in the torrent system?' "'People are always offering me jobs.' Sloane thought the scientist was trying to be nonchalant, but Alex's gaze was darting around so quickly she couldn't possibly be registering their surroundings. She was scared. Who could blame her? Hell, Sloane was scared too. Who designed a station to explode if no one was on it? Alex licked her lips. So what do we do now? See this was the problem with someone else naming you as the captain of their ship. Sloane wasn't a captain, she wasn't a leader. She was a mediocre med student, the daughter of a respected politician, a serial dater, and a flaky friend. Sloane's earbud beeped, and she practically fainted in relief. Hilda, she was still nearby-ish, without any method of approaching, but surely the pilot would have some idea of what to do next. The relief lasted a full second, and then Hilda spoke. Anyone know who's peppering Moneymaker with plasma shots? So much for a rescue squad. Probably Curtis Corbin, Sloan said. The client? Yeah. Hilda cursed. I should have known. It was a Federation-approved gig, Sloan said. We couldn't have known. Oliver might have. Sloan might be able to spot a fake handbag, but Oliver lived and breathed this world. If the stamp had been forged, he might have spotted it. And if Sloane had spent more time learning to read people instead of handbags, she might have spotted Oliver's fraud, Curtis's too. "'I guess Curtis has a ship after all,' Alex said. Obviously he had a ship. Who was flying it and where they were hiding, Sloane couldn't say. Hilda cursed again. "'Shields are not going to hold for long here. I'll try to chase him away. Can you two escape?' "'Not without getting shrapnel in our asses,' Sloane said. "'Try to stick nearby.' "'Might be in a million pieces, but I'll do my best.' Sloane squinted down the hall, then paced to the airlock "'where Curtis and Brighton had ditched them. "'She pressed her hands to the window and peered out "'as if she could see the moneymaker through the airlock "'and the enemy that was trying to blow it to bits. "'She went over the layout of the station in her mind, cataloging the features she'd seen from outside. "'She hadn't been paying enough attention, "'but she'd been paying some. "'Sever wasn't stupid,' she said. The person who talks about him in past tense might be, Alex replied. Alex, did this station have plasma cannons, railguns? I counted four on the way in. Trust Alex to pay attention. Do you think you could find the plasma chambers? I'm afraid to ask why. Sloane backed away from the door. This place smelled like rust and mold and she was not going to stay here. Because Curtis's supposed explosion wouldn't do any good with the shields up. "'How do you figure?' "'The shields would contain the blast, "'which would protect the person who just escaped without a ship nearby. "'But the shields aren't up. "'So we activate them.' "'Alex threw her hands up, "'but the bulk of her suit stole most of the power of the gesture. "'Then how do we get out of here? "'The matter phaser is dead.' "'Sloan licked her lips. "'I can think of one path that leads straight out of the station.' "'Alex stared at her, hard.' Do not say what I think you're going to say. Sloane clapped the scientist on the shoulder, no point in delaying the inevitable. Do you think we'd fit inside a plasma cannon? It only made sense. The station wouldn't explode with the shields up, so they needed to get the shields up and escape before the railguns could start shooting. No problem. For the first time, Sloane's ignorance about space stuff was starting to pay off. Her crew would roll their eyes at her all they wanted, but the facts were facts. Alex had gotten them in, but Sloane would get them out, and she'd do it her way. It wasn't hard to find the plasma gun room, deck, whatever. Sloane didn't know the technical term, and there wasn't a sign above the door. There were twelve sea green tanks, each about ten meters tall, with ladders strung up the sides for anyone who wanted to risk their lives for unknown reasons or, Sloan assumed, to refill the tanks with brand new loads of plasma, nice and shiny, and deadly. Sloan stepped around the tanks and pointed to the square divots up on the wall, plasma loading chambers, which led into plasma cannon barrels, which led, presumably, into the depths of space. The rest of the room was full of panels and chains and gears and whatever else, Mechanisms to move the railguns, maybe, or change plasma tanks. She doubted people tended to do this by hand, but they could. With a wrench in the right place or a loosened screw, the guns would fail. Step one, Sloane said, disable the railguns. Alex looked at her, blinked three times, confused, maybe. So Sloane pointed to the tanks, the mechanisms, the stuff that appeared to make the cannons shoot at things. What, you want me to do that? Sloane nodded. Alex rubbed a hand across her face. I don't know how many times I need to tell you that I'm not a mechanic or a weapons expert. I'm an astrophysicist. Conversely, Sloane didn't know how many inventions Alex would have to work up in the name of hobbies before she realized she was good at all this cord-button-beeping-machine stuff. Just do your best. Alex sucked in her cheeks, then winced, as if she'd bitten herself particularly hard. If the systems are connected, and I disable the railguns, the explosives might be triggered, especially if the shield isn't activated yet. Geniuses always had to be so pragmatic. All right then, Sloane said step one is to crawl through the plasma cannons. Without waiting for a response, she climbed the tank wall, crawled across the top, and dropped into the open chamber where plasma would presumably flow from the tank to the cannon before blasting out to wipe a ship into oblivion. You're going to get us killed, Alex said. Feel free to live a nice life on this prison. Brighton seemed well-fed, so I'm sure you'd survive. I would, Alex said. I really would, except for the fact that you're going to get this place blown up anyway. Not if you stay. Alex started to climb. Already sweating, Sloane waited for Alex to join her before pulling herself into the barrel of the cannon. From a distance, these things always looked huge. She'd pictured herself sitting inside the circle at the end, legs dangling, already a fallacy in zero gravity, waiting comfortably for her ride. Now that she was inside, the walls closed in around her like a snake ready to squeeze. Her gloves scraped along the bottom, and she practically had to pull herself along she hoped it wouldn't get any narrower. Okay, Sloan said, breathing hard. Step two, get Hilda to fly close and activate the shields. She nearly stopped moving as she instructed the communication link to ping Hilda. Was it getting hotter in here? But Alex punched the bottom of her foot to keep her moving. Hilda, Sloan said, can you get close to the station? Negative, kind of busy over here. Sloan could hear the frantic screaming of alarms in the background, the rumble of Moneymaker's engine trying to keep from imploding. She couldn't help Hilda. She could only help herself and Alex. Arms shaking from the effort of pulling herself forward, Sloan told her helmet to redial the last number she'd called before Hilda. Property Protect Limited, Mechanism Department, how can I help you? She'd been hoping for a different representative, but it was definitely the same syrupy sweet woman from before, because of course it is. Hi, Sloane said, "It's me again, Morick's niece." A beat, ma'am. The representative said, "This is highly irregular." Sloane could see the stars twinkling beyond the mouth of the can- cannon. Now, the rainbow ebb of the closest current path in the distance. She was close now, so close. "'You don't know the half of it,' she said. "'Listen, I was lying before. "'I'm actually trying to break someone out of prison at this station. "'You should probably call the fleet.' "'Silence.' "'What was that, ma'am?' "'I'm on the station. I'm stealing shit. I'm about to escape. "'Sever's going to blame you. Probably. Send the fleet. Thanks so much.' "'Sloan ended the call.' "'That is not going to work,' Alex said. "'We're going to die.' "'We are not.' "'All right, then, what's step three? Step 3. Dive out of the gun, get onto the ship, and fly away. In the six seconds it would take the plasma to load. Yeah, okay, they were probably going to die. Bone inched to the edge of the cannon, the lip now within her grasp. She pulled her body halfway out, scraping the rocket booster on the barrel above her as she did. She hoped to the stars that it would still function. The woman had to call the fleet. She had to turn them in. She had to. Panicked breaths fogged Sloan's visor, coming too fast and hot for the environment systems to keep scooping up the moisture. Maybe the woman had called. Maybe the fleet didn't care. But the fleet was a stuck-up club full of self-righteous, power-hungry bureaucrats. There was no way they'd miss an opportunity like this. As the thought crossed her mind, the current spat out a gray-sided fleet cruiser, its orange stripes clashing with the bright blue shield that pulsed around the ship she could have kissed it ugly hull and all grab my ankle sloan said alex did and sloan pushed herself free of the station as the ship sailed through the shields rocketing them both toward the oncoming cruiser sloan had always felt that fleet officers were stuffy the fleet officers sitting around the table in their stuffy boardroom on their stuffy warship had sticks lodged even further up than most they all wore identically short haircuts and watched her with identically disapproving stares. And she hadn't even criticized their orange stripes. "'Miss Tarnish,' the captain said, because this was a captain-worthy moment that had pulled him away from his very important work on the bridge. "'You just released a level-14 criminal into the galaxy. Explain yourself!' Sloan didn't know for sure if level-14 meant he was really bad or if he'd dined and dashed a few times all the same in the fleet's eyes anyway. It was a Federation-approved bounty, she said, for what felt like the 50 millionth time, and was probably the 100 millionth time. Stamped in everything. If you need to prosecute someone, prosecute them for letting it slip by. Maybe it was a mole. Or a hack, or just a really good fake. Even the mighty Cosmic Trade Federation made mistakes from time to time. Besides, Alex said placidly, the prisoner was being held by Sever. We figured that meant it was a really good rescue. Sloan gave her a thumbs up. Good point, Alex, good point. Another officer cleared his throat. Their pilot did send the files. The other ship fled as soon as we arrived. And thank goodness for that, Hilda was fine. She'd survived. Sloan wanted to cry in relief, but not in front of these guys. The stamp was real, the officer added. "'Someone got in the system,' another said, "'or they've been compromised,' yet another. "'Sloan wouldn't be surprised if these guys stormed out "'to raid the Federation right this minute. "'Not that they'd win, but they'd feel good about themselves "'right up until the moment the Federation "'ground their ship into dust. "'The captain held up a hand. "'We'll reach out to the CTF, "'right after we figure out what to do "'with Ms. Tarnish and her associates. "'Worst band name ever. "'So if I understand this right, you had Sever,' "'imprisoning a level 14 prisoner for you? "'Don't you have your own facilities?' "'She only hoped she wouldn't be headed for one. "'The captain rubbed his chin. "'Not exactly for us. "'He said it like a confession. "'One point to him for not lying, she supposed. "'That didn't mean she was letting him off the hook, though. "'So this criminal guy got on Sever's bad side "'and you just let him stay there?' "'Sloan tisked. "'That's bad form, captain.' To the captain's credit, he didn't say anything about the decision being above his pay grade, though it probably would have been. He sighed. "'Your schooner is docking. You're free to go. Perhaps to choose a different trade.' Sloane got up and mocked a curtsy. "'Thanks for the rescue, friends.' Alex rolled her eyes and headed out the door, probably missing her bunny slippers. Though Sloane hoped she'd turn her attention to more matter-phasing-type inventions— Sloane moved to follow. She hoped the shower cyclers hadn't been redamaged in Hilda's battle. "'Ms. Tarnish?' Sloane turned when the captain spoke, one hand on the doorframe. "'We have reason to believe Sever is gone for good,' the captain said. "'Aju system is going to see a power vacuum. I suggest you steer clear.' "'I will,' Sloan said. At least she would if she could. And if not, well, Sloane had never had a problem making promises she couldn't keep.' Thank you so much for listening to Highly Irregular. Um, This story is available, first, just housekeeping stuff. If you want to read it, it is available from my website. If you go to katesheeranswed.com, you'll get access to my VIP library, and it is in there under the Parse Galaxy stuff. Um, You can also pick it up in this great anthology, Crooked, um, volume one, and it's edited by Jesse Quack. And um, this is the very first story, full story, with Sloane in the driver's seat that I wrote in the Parse Galaxy system. Um, Sloane and her friends appear in uh, my League of Independent Operatives series, and they first show up in this book, which is Antihero. That's the second book in the series. Um, and so she had had some point of view, um, chapters at that point, but this was the very first story I ever wrote that took place a hundred percent in the parse galaxy. However, you can see that she's still kind of like, there are some threads left. So last time I mentioned, if you, if you weren't, um, listening to Outlaw Rising, um, last time I real, I mentioned a little bit about how, um, this is part of a larger universe, and uh, my superhero series is the League of Independent Operatives, and um, it's not space opera, But and you don't have to read it before you read these books. I hope that's clear, um, or listen to these books, but... Um, they are connected and Sloan shows up in those books. They're kind of, I I call it guardians of the galaxy to the Avengers. That's kind of the analogy that I make. And so this is cleaning up a few of those pieces for people who had read that series. Um, They were running, they had stolen an artifact and they were running, pretending to have it. And um, so that's why they were being chased at the beginning. And then Morik, who they mention is the Sever's right hand man. So um, he yeah, and I, I think I'm going to talk more about this next week, but, um, you know, Sever doesn't actually make an appearance in this series at all. But the first um, book in this series is called Chaos Zone, and of course, Sloan is going to be back in the bone system. And so next, the next time I post a chapter, it's going to start there. It's going to start with the first chapter of Chaos Zone. Um, that said, I, I want to apologize for this being a little bit later than I expected. I thought I was going to post it right on Thursday, but I actually had some trouble reading this. You might have noticed if you're watching the video, my clothes changed because I had to stop and start again um, because I just... I don't know if I wasn't as smooth as some of the later stuff that I've read. I was kind of getting into her voice and all of that, or if I just was having a bad reading week. Um, But it took me a while to get it done and edited, so I do apologize for that. Um, That said, I'm going to try to get ahead on Chaos Zone um, so if you're listening to this or watching this when it first goes out, I am going to skip a Thursday, and then I'm going to start um, posting again in April. Um, and I will start with, I will go with Chaos Zone, and that is the first book in the Parse Galaxy series. It picks up pretty quickly after this um, incident here. If you did listen to Outlaw Rising, the, the timing of this incident goes, Outlaw Rising is first Obviously, if you listened to it, you would know that it's the novella and Vin is, I won't spoil it. <laughs> um, and if you listen to the story, you probably can guess, I guess. Um, and then Highly Irregular. So it's it's Outlaw Rising and then like Sloane and her friends jaunt off to the superhero series for a little bit. And then it's um, Highly Irregular and then Chaos Zone. But you can go Outlaw Rising, Highly Irregular, Chaos Zone, and those are actually all entry points into the series. So any of those points you can like they stand by themselves and you can kind of go forward. And then after that the series starts to kind of like um fold together a little bit more like you wouldn't want to read book seven without having read book one. Um book seven isn't out yet, <laughs> but just as an example. Um so I hope that you enjoyed this story. Um please, you know, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment, let me know what you think and um, I will be back the first week of April with the first two chapters of Chaos Zone. Thank you so much, and I will see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's reading. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss the next episode. For more information about my books and to join my VIP reader crew, visit kateshiranswed.com.